Please bow with me in prayer. Lord, take my lips and speak through them. Take our minds and think through them. Take our hearts and set them on fire with love for your Son, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. This is not one of those gospel readings that when we hear it, we get all pumped up and excited about. You know, usually when we hear a gospel reading, we expect to hear, we hope to hear, we want to hear passages of comfort and and peace and joy and blessing. So when we hear passages that talk about persecution and rejection and struggle and pain and possible death and judgment in the midst of it all, it's like, do we really want to dwell on that? I mean, we'd rather hear the good stuff. I mean, you know, if you're really going to advertise the Christian faith, is this what you want to advertise? You know, it's interesting is that Jesus, when he talked about following him and the faith, he didn't say to his apostles, you know, this is going to be a cakewalk. This is going to be fun, joyful, rosy. That's not what he said. See, but that's oftentimes what we really want to focus on. You know, the reality is we all listen to advertisements all the time, right? I mean, you watch the television. You even are on the Internet. You're going to get advertisements when you bring it up. The radio. It's a constant thing in our culture. And what we sometimes don't realize, because oftentimes it's more subtle is that advertisements really prey on our fears. Did you ever realize that? They really do. Do you have enough for your retirement? You know, that's one of them that you, you know, oh my gosh, do I? Do I have the right insurance? Do I have the right Medicare supplement? You know, it is a constant thing. There's, there's one that's been out for the last couple, three months that's really, really interesting. It's the one about the woman who goes to her daughter and says, now I don't want you to worry, but I just got an in, a life insurance policy. Now see, I think, I mean, this is the way my, my mind works. You need to understand. I would think that if I went to one of my family members and said, I got a life insurance policy out on you, then you need to worry. You know, but it's just really funny just to think about how many advertisements. I mean, even the cars and the clothes out there, you know, the reality is, subconsciously, is if you don't get this, you really don't measure up. You know, and so we begin to check ourselves and make sure that we appear to be successful, that we have it together, that we have resources, or that we look good. You know, even the laundry detergents and the deodorants and deodorant soap, do you smell good? You know, because after all, you want to fit in. You want to have a certain appearance with the people around you. You want people to like you. You want people to embrace you. You want people to think highly of you. Isn't that what we're about? 
It's really a lot of times what the values of our culture really are about. And so that's what we end up buying into subtly, if not overtly, that we buy into the culture. And we begin to live for the values of the culture and reflect the culture in our lives because we don't want to face rejection. We don't want people to think less of us. And Jesus is saying in this passage that you really, if that's what you're living for, if that's what you're living for, you're missing it. And I mean, so much of what we pay attention to and what we spend our money on and our time on is about looking good and fitting in and being successful in this world. I did a wedding last evening, and I had a woman come up to me, and she heard me refer to the fact that Meredith and I are going to be married 35 years this summer. And she says to me, she says, do you dye your hair? I just, I just find that funny. And I said to her, no, actually, it's good genes. And she said, well, then you must have gotten married at a really young age. Anyway, it was just one of those funny comments, but it made me realize how much we are conscious of that. I mean, I'm, I'm talking about marriage, and I'm talking about, you know, having an effective Christ-centered marriage, in the con- and the woman's focused on my hair color. Doesn't that strike you as funny? That's our culture. That's our culture. See, but Jesus wanted everybody to be aware of. You know, this life, if you really walk with me, if you really proclaim my name, if people associate, identify you with me, it's not going to be a cakewalk. Look at the life of Jesus. Study the life of Jesus. Look at the apostles and the disciples. Look at the prophets. Look at the Christians in countries today where Christianity is not affirmed. It's not the lifestyle that you necessarily want advertised. And it's certainly not on our radar screen in the United States because we've learned subtly in 21st century America how to fit in. You know, for a Christian, well, you know, we don't really want to press this too much. Because we want to appear the way the world expects us to appear. You know, I personally have never experienced physical threats, but I've experienced rejection because of my stance, because of my faith. You know, when I first came here over 20 years ago, I had people come up to me and threaten to leave the church or pull their pledge because they didn't like my sermons. And that was about content. Today it might be about length, but back then it was about content. It's really fascinating. And I've been uninvited to events, and I've said this before because I pray in the name of Jesus. 
And I've had people who ignore me because they don't agree with me. And most recently, I've been threatened when I was in deposition. So I've experienced some of what Jesus is talking about. Not to the degree that the apostles and Christian martyrs have experienced. I've experienced some. I remember years ago when I came back from the Dominican Republic after my second or third mission trip down there. And I shared a story where, so this was back in the 90s or around the year 2000. And, and I remember sharing that we had been there and, and word was getting out that this group keeps coming back from St. Luke's Church, Hilton Head Island. And this was a town of about 200,000 people. But people would look at us on the street and they'd wave to us and they'd smile because word got out about what we were doing. You know, word travels fast. And we were helping to, to fix this church up and then we started building an orphanage down there. I mean, it was really, really cool what was going on. But the clergyman and the missionary from the church that we were working with in San Francisco said, the governor wants to meet with you. And I thought, uh-oh. I don't know what that means. I've never really been summoned by a governor before. And then I remembered the scripture here that says, you will be summoned before governors and kings. And I thought, this might not be good. And so I went to meet with the governor, and she was actually quite welcoming. And she said to me, she said, tell me what you're doing here, and tell me a little bit about your church. So we talked for a little while, and it was, and it was really actually a very cordial, very nice conversation. And then, and then I said, she asked me about my family, and I asked her about her family, and she said, I have three children. She's probably 60, 65, something like that. And I said, really, where are your children? And they said, oh, well, they all live in the United States. I want them to have a good life. I want them to be successful. I want them to have peace. Interesting. I wonder how a governor would get away with that here. If they said, oh, all my children live in another country because it's better there. And I asked her, what do you perceive success to be? You know, and of course... It's worldly success. And I said, let me tell you what Jesus says about success. And I said, let me tell you what Jesus says about peace. Now, I didn't know I was going to talk like that when I went in there. But like the scripture says, and maybe it wasn't in a situation of persecution, but the Lord would give you what to say. And then I prayed with her at the end. And we had a wonderful visit. See, I believe that's what the Lord calls us to wherever we are. That we are to bring his presence because we identify ourselves with him. And we're willing to take those risks no matter where we go or what we do. That we are to live for him. And that's really what this passage is about. And so I want to now just unpack briefly some of the content of this particular passage. And you need to recognize where Jesus begins. He wants you to understand from the get-go where you need to start. And he said to them, a disciple is not above his master. Now, Peter, just a few chapters later, 
when the apostles were chosen, the twelve, and walking with Jesus and sent out to do ministry, what this passage is about, and then they come back and they continue doing ministry with Jesus, Jesus says to them, who do men say that I am? And they, and they had various responses. And then Jesus says to them, who do you say that I am? And Peter, being the spokesman, steps right in and he says, you are the Messiah, the Son of God. And then Jesus goes on to say, and the Son of God must suffer and die. Much like he's talking about here, that this life that I'm called to is suffering and then eventually will lead to death. And the scripture goes on to say, this is chapter 16, and Peter rebuked him. Now think about that just for a second. If you were standing here talking to Jesus right now, and Jesus said something, and you said, hey Jesus, you got that wrong. How many of you would do that? Because that's what Peter did. Peter said, oh no. I mean, this is not the life for you. I mean, let me tell you what the life's supposed to be, Jesus. You're going to come in as a Messiah. You're going to take over Jerusalem. We're going to be the center of attention. We're going to have wealth and prosperity. And we're going to live peacefully. And this is going to be a great life. And all's going to be great. That's what they wanted. The value of the world's of the world. And Jesus said, no, you misunderstand. And we rebuke Jesus all the time. Maybe not overtly, because we've learned how to be subtle. To walk the Christian way and yet at the same time fit into the world. So when Jesus sends us out, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Or you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. We say, well, you know, that's really for someone else. What are we saying to Jesus? Not me. Lord, you got it wrong. Or when Jesus says, I came not to be served, but to serve and to give my life, and that we as his disciples are to follow the, the footsteps, to take up our cross and follow him, and we say, you know what? That's really for other people to do. Or when he says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments, and we say, well, you know, we really don't like some of your commandments. What are we doing? See, we want to modify what Jesus says. Or we want to just kind of say, no, that, you know, that's not really what he meant. Or we ignore it. Or we say, I don't believe it, and I want to do what I want. That's how we rebuke Jesus. And that's why Jesus says, a disciple is not above the master. Let's get it right from the start. It would be like a student telling a professor or a teacher, no, I know better. It would be like a child telling a parent, no, I know better. Same idea. And we want to do that. And that's why Jesus says, if you're going to start, if you're going to follow me, if you really want to understand the life, 
And here it is. You learn from me. You walk with me. And then he goes on to say, have no fear of them. You know, in our culture, the they is a big deal. You know what I mean by the they? You know what they say. You know what they think. You know, well, that's not a new idea. Jesus says, have no fear of them because they are always living for the they. And who's the they in your life that you're living for? Jesus says, don't live for them. Have no fear of them. You know, and I've said this before, and if you've not been here before, I want you to catch this. Because people have been here understanding The most frequent command in all of Scripture is do not fear. Do not fear. 365 times. Three times in this passage alone. Do not fear. Do not be afraid. See, because so much of our lives is dominated by fear. And we live our lives trying to avoid or get rid of fear or mask fear. Once again, getting back to the advertisers and our culture and our values and fitting in and being a success. And we constantly are aware of that. Scripture says the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom because once we understand that He is meant to be our top priority and we understand that He has power over the whole of our lives and our eternity, we understand His position. Then we move from fear, it's the beginning of wisdom, into this relationship of love and trusting Him, and living for Him, and we can begin to let fear go, which is what His goal is. If you live for the values of the world, and you live in the world, and you're constantly trying to live for others, you will always have that fear. When you walk with the Lord, the fear dissipates. That's His goal. That's His goal for you. He doesn't want you to live that fearful, oh my goodness, life. Even before him. So don't worry about what they say. Because their truth is not his truth. And he says, I am the truth. And the Holy Spirit will guide you into all truth. And you'll learn what it means to live for me, even facing rejection, persecution. And learn to let go of that fear and just trust Him. And then he gets to this last phrase to sum it up. He who acknowledges me, I will acknowledge. He who acknowledges me, I will acknowledge. See, it's that whole idea of are we going to speak for Him? Are we going to live for Him? Because really, the acknowledgement of Jesus as our Savior and Lord means by our words and by our deeds, the whole of our being, that we're saying, yes, Lord, I want to have a relationship with You. I want to be identified with You. Where I go, I want people to know I belong to You. You know, sometimes when we're in public, we really don't want people to think, this person's my family member or this person's my friend. You know what I mean? Right? I mean, be truthful here. See, Jesus is saying, I want you to know you belong to me. 
And I want others to know that I belong to you. That's what it means to acknowledge. That yes, I love this person. I want to walk with this person. I want to be identified with this person. And the person is Jesus Christ. You know, this Wednesday I'm going up to see my mom again. Uh, some of you may not know this. My mom's basically dying of cancer. And um, my, my siblings, this has been a beautiful thing. We've worked together really well trying to tag team it. My sister lives about 10 minutes away. And my brother, who also lives away from Pittsburgh, and I live away from Pittsburgh, and we're trying to get there once a month each for a few days and play tag team. And it's been really great in a lot of ways. But last time I was there, I was telling my mom how the next month was going to go. My brother was going to come in two weeks and spend the weekend. Then I was going to come up after that. And she looks at me and she says, Craig, you're too busy. You don't need to be driving up to Pittsburgh to see me. I'm fine. I don't want people giving me attention. I, I don't want people feeling sorry for me. And I looked at her and I said, Mom, I don't feel sorry for you. I said, I feel sorry for me. I said, you're fine. You know where you're going. She has a tremendous faith. I said, I feel sorry for me. I'm coming because I want to spend time with you. She looked at me and she said, I like that. <laughs> That's what the Lord says to us. He came to die for us. To acknowledge us. To say, I want to have a relationship with you. To lay down his life. To say, I want to spend time with you. And then he says, is that what you want? That's the invitation. See, in my understanding that I heard years ago, of how to put this passage in another way. Is that when we get to heaven, if we believe in Jesus, if we know him as our Savior and Lord, and we come before the throne, that if we're believers, we say to the Lord, thy will be done. that we believed in you. We trusted you for our salvation. And the Lord embraces us and welcomes us. But if we don't believe in him and we don't walk with him and we really don't want to have a relationship with him, when we get to heaven, the Lord says to us, thy will be done. You didn't want to have a relationship with me. You've got what you've decided. That's why Jesus said, don't fear him who can kill the body. Don't fear those who live for this world and the values of this world. Fear him who can kill body and soul. That's where real wisdom begins. That's where learning to give up fear and live in love begins. 
That's where really understanding what it means to acknowledge him and how much he sought to acknowledge you by dying on a cross for you. So that we might have that kind of relationship with him. That's what he's after. That's what he wants for us. You know what's interesting is the one who rebuked him, Peter, would eventually deny him. I don't know him. I don't know him. But Jesus, out of love, restored Peter. And what did he say when he restored Peter? Tend my flock. Feed my sheep. In other words, go out there and serve other people. Go out there and show my compassion to the world. Go out there and seek the lost sheep. If you understand what it means to walk with me, then you care for the sheep. Then you reach out. That you're a witness and you acknowledge him in your life and you serve him. You know, we say God is the source of life. That he created us. But when we believe in him, he becomes the center of our lives. That all that we are and all that we have are about him. Our energy, our time, our resources, our hearts, our mindset, our values, all around him. That he truly wants to be the Lord of your life. And that's why he says, let's understand it from the beginning. Let's get it right. A disciple is not above the master, but we give our lives to him. That the grace that he's given to us, the gift of salvation and eternal life, we can't cheapen, as Dietrich Bonhoeffer talks about. We can't cheapen it by acquiescing to the world and its ways. That if we truly are going to acknowledge him, he is our savior and he is our Lord. And the question is, have you acknowledged him? And will you acknowledge him every day? No matter where you find yourself. No matter who you're with. Please bow with me in prayer. Lord God, the values of our world, our culture, oftentimes are contrary to your call in our lives. Even as basic as who is God? And what does God want? And yet, Lord, when you came to live amongst us, you showed us you told us that your call simply is for us to acknowledge you as the one who came to give his life to give his life for us now so that we might know salvation for all eternity 
But so often our, our minds, our eyes are fixed on the short term, this world. And you invite us to an eternal perspective, your perspective. That you gave your life for that. Lord, I pray this day that we all, everyone here, would see you as the one who came to give his life on a cross because of your love that we might know your salvation, that you came to acknowledge us and that we might in response give our lives and acknowledge you. Lord, I pray that everyone here would know you as Savior and know you as Lord and acknowledge you now and every day. And I pray this in Jesus' name.